0: Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the New American Media Podcast. We're doing it live now. I'm glad COVID is over. We can have live guests. Um, With me today is a good friend of mine, Lavesh Prithmani. Both of us went to undergrad together at UNC. I graduated in 2006, and he started in 2006, but we have crossed paths. And LaVesh here, outside of your time at UNC, started a company called Learn Bhangra, which is a type of Indian dance from northern India, from the state of Punjab in that area. And with further ado, hey LaVesh, how are you doing, man?
1: Thank you very much, Greg. Nice to... uh... To see you on here, and uh, thank you for everyone listening. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about my story, and I appreciate the opportunity. So,
0: yeah. Yes. Thanks. So, <clears throat> me growing up here in the South, I remember being one of maybe, like, two brown kids <laughs> in my whole school. Yep, absolutely. And, like, our culture was definitely not as celebrated back then in the 90s as it is even in the early 2000s yep. as it is today. Totally. I think it's proliferated throughout Hollywood, mainstream media today.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I remember when Jay-Z released Punjabi MC in <laughs> The Rock. Exactly. You know, that kind of put us on the map. Sure did. In the, yeah. in the beginning. I think that was like 2003 maybe. Yeah, sometimes. I, sometimes. I remember I was in college at the time. Um, so tell us, let's start with LaVesh as a kid kind of growing up, where did you grow up, and a little bit about your family and your background.
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, So like you said, I also grew up uh, in here, I guess we consider it the South. Um, I you know, originally, like you said, at school and um, when you're talking about your kind of day-to-day life, you didn't see very much Brown representation, right? And um, I was very lucky that the form that I did get of it was through my extended family. So I have a very big extended family, particularly my mom's side, that all lives in this area too. In this area being Raleigh and uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, between the two, and right. And so, with this extended family, that was my only cultural connection at all for a very, very long time. And if I didn't have that, I don't think I'd be like nearly the same person I am today, good or bad. Right. Uh, and so. Growing up, uh, you know, specific to like dance, I was not all into that. It's Specific to many parts of our culture, I didn't get beyond what my kind of family was able to, you know, provide. Definitely right. an interesting experience because, um, you know, I, I had to kind of take everything my mom, my dad, and extended family took as my representation of my culture. I didn't have any other idea about it, right, besides that.
0: So. Now that's amazing. So when <clears throat> did your parents immigrate here to the U.S.? And Kind of were you born here in Raleigh yep. or Fayetteville?
1: Yeah, so I was I was born in Raleigh and my parents came just a few years before I was born so my dad grew up in Bombay where his family is and my dad's family when I go to India It's always Bombay. My mom's family grew up in Delhi uh, and then moved over so they've been here roughly a little less than 40 years Oh wow! Um, I guess I aged myself right, but <laughs> <laughs> so they, they came only a few years before and my uh, dad was Really, the person that uh, you know was your typical kind of businessman, Indian businessman mentality. So, I don't think he completed school past 15, um, and then he left, right? And it was in search of trying to find a better life. So, he started his journey going from India to Japan for a few years.
0: Wow! Yeah. Japan, that's yeah.
1: different. It is. I know. You know, most people don't go that that route. They're always kind of going the other way towards the U.S. He went further. Um, so he started there and, you know, it was basically slinging all kinds of, like, uh, it basically he was into textiles, so it would be clothes and, like, right. you know, cloths and fabrics and things like that. Um, from there, I think he came over to Korea for a little bit. Uh, not long. He was in Korea, Japan for probably the longest bit, and I think it was after that. I, sometimes his journey changes when he tells me because he forgets. But, you know, after that, he managed to make it to the States when, you know, he went through those two countries. He was in Dubai, that's it. That was in Dubai for a while, and then he made it to the States after that. So that entire journey was probably about, give or take, eight years or so. And this and then, was all in the 80s. This was all in the 80s, right, right. And then he came here in you know the early 80s, you can say uh to the states on you know however methods that you know indian immigrants used to come over at those in those days which were maybe not necessarily the most uh straightforward no but, it's
0: it's definitely yeah. like i've seen a lot of them through the family visa yeah right yeah um my grandfather came in 1980 yeah because his sister married an indian guy in california put in his Got papers the visa. Yeah, exactly and then my grandmother came in 83. Yeah. Literally, I was born, and the following week, she came to the U.S. Wow. Like, she had waited <laughs> for me to be born, yeah, yeah. and then my grandmother came. That's awesome. And then she put in our papers, and we ended up coming in 1989. And that's how my mom's whole side of the Got family over, yeah, yeah. is over here.
1: <clears throat> that's awesome. So, I mean,
0: that's really how it works. Yeah. Pre-9-11. Yeah. A lot advanced. of that was very simple to do, and you could bring literally your whole yeah. extended family yeah. over.
1: And that, that's how my mom came over, same way. Right. So my mom's brother was the one that, that brought literally two-by-twos, right? Yeah. And so he was one of seven plus his parents, right? So everybody came over. They established their families here. And so that's how I had that tight-knit community, thanks to my, you know, from my mom's side of my uh, my uncle. So, yeah, they both met, you know, through the typical uh, arranged marriage Family tree. I'm I'm of a uh, particular uh, ethnic group called Sindhi. Okay. If you're familiar, right? So yeah. Sindhis, uh, you know, they ha- they're not a very very big community when you compare it to other kind of ethnic groups across India. And so everybody kind of knows everybody. And yeah, all the you, we all know each other. You, know what I'm <laughs> you guys are a lot <laughs> lot bigger in terms of you know you have, you have uh, you have a huge network here. Sindhis aren't quite that big. Right. Right. Um, so you know that's how my parents were kind of met through arrangement uh, through family, and they met each other here in the states and. Yeah, I came a couple years later. That's
0: awesome. So growing up here in Raleigh, um, I saw you went to magnet school like a lot of the smart Indian kids. Yeah, yeah. What made (laughs) you kind of, as as you were growing up, what was kind of one of those events or triggering points that you feel like taught you or instilled in you, is probably a better way to say it, that... I want to be an entrepreneur, a risk taker, someone that wants to work extremely hard, long hours to achieve something that I inherently love or am passionate about.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, it's like the example in front of me was my dad, right? And not only my dad, but extended to almost all of my aunts and uncles because they all had family businesses too. I kind of didn't know anything else. It, it wasn't. It's funny you talk about the magnet school. I think I went to the fakest magnet school ever, because <laughs> it only became a magnet school. Um, I think after I got there, or right when I was getting in, and it really wasn't. It was not at that time at all what you'd consider a magnet school. So um, education, interestingly enough, was not the primary focus in in like my upbringing. It was never ever brought to me by either my mom or my dad oh, wow. to be that's a doctor. Very different, yeah. To know? be a doctor, to be an engineer. It was always, what are you gonna do? Like what's the what's your hustle? What's right? your hustle? What's yeah, what drive? are you gonna create? Yeah. And, and that's amazing. It's very different, right? I, Than, I love that actually
0: yeah. because like for us as Gujaratis our parents were always small business owners: gas stations, sure. hotels, okay, liquor stores, yeah, restaurants—you yeah. know that kind of thing. Very cool. But they always would push their kids to not to do be that. doctors, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And then I talked to you know some doctors' kids today, and they always tell their kids not to be doctors because <laughs> <laughs> it's just that, a that very strange. stressful yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was just really funny. So I'm amazed by that yeah. dynamic in and of itself. So I think being in that entrepreneurial type of household really made that possible exactly. for you.
1: Yeah. It, it's very true, right? Because growing up my family we started with when I was younger self oh, sorry uh, video phone video stores, video rental stores, right? So we we're competing with like Blockbuster at that time. And then Blockbuster ended You're aging up... aging
0: yourself. I know, I know. <laughs> Any of these young kids are going to be They're like, what what's is a that?
1: Blockbuster, right? And, the, and I mean, I hated their guts because I remember Blockbuster showed up, decided to open a store, I kid you not, like 30 feet away from our you know, small business, from our, from our uh, video rental store. And that killed us. And so we pivoted then. And my family, you know, for a little bit, my dad went to like a dollar store thing. And then he had a genius idea, was going into cell phones. And at that time, you know, cell phones were just starting to become a thing, and today we still have that cell phone store. It still does well for us. So you know, that's been a very long long business, right? I mean, we're talking over fifteen years, Um, and so. So I mean, even without the expertise and that knowledge,
0: he still knew that mobile was the future. Yep. Exactly. And this yeah. is when we had the old-school Nokia phone.
1: Yeah, I mean, we I started right the Nokia at... Nokia phone. You know, when it came right? out, the razor came out. It was, like, yes. the greatest thing ever invented. And before that, yeah, it was, like, Nextel, chip, you know, Chirp, and, yeah, Nokia phones. I mean, that's what we used to select back in the day, yeah.
0: I still remember when I was in high school, being a yeah. little older than you, yeah. I used to have a beeper. Oh, yeah, beeper. So that's what I, we started with those beepers. I yeah. went to the school yeah. of science and yeah. math yeah. my junior and senior okay. year. Okay, okay, very and, cool. And yeah. um, we didn't have phones... So you had a phone all the way at the end of the hall, like uh, a pay yeah,
1: yeah. You had
0: to uh, take it, and there would always be a line yeah. to use the phone. So the only way my parents could contact me was they would to have beep to beep send me a beep, yeah, yeah. and then, and then call I call would it. go yeah. to there
1: and call them. <laughs> Such an inefficient <laughs> technology, right? But it, but we sold so many beepers back in the day. That's how we started, with yeah. beepers and I basic have, phones. I, I don't yeah. have
0: it anymore, but yeah. I had a clear...
1: UNC blue oh, yeah? people. Nice, nice. And I've remember. been a
0: Carolina fan since I was in you know young age.
1: Okay, okay. I actually grew up. I hate to say this. I grew up as a state fan. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> even though I went to Chapel Hill. At least you went Hill. to UNC. I don't know, I don't know. You know,
0: I've never heard it that way around. Yeah, were it's you, uh, pretty
1: rare. Were you a state fan while you were at UNC as well? I, I was. I was hardcore because I grew up with my cousins who were elder than me. You know, taking me to state games. Uh-huh. And so I was very fortunate to have that. You know, some cousins who cared about me and wanted to take me to those. So. When I went to UNC, it was like behind enemy lines kind of a thing. Like wow! That's what I, and I, I stayed at Teague Dorm, which is right outside Keenan. Oh, so I, I know would, exactly yeah, where that yeah. is. so I would literally like walk out with my, you know, if Miami was playing, I'd, I'd wear some orange or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the worst fan ever. So been. that is the
0: first you guys have heard it here <laughs> there first. It is, there it is, an actual UNC alum that is a state fan. <laughs> I know. So I don't know if you heard Jacoby Brissett, who was the yep. quarterback state, at yeah. NC State. Yep. He. Is a UNC basketball fan, really? Yes. So he Man. was recently on a podcast. Interesting. And I saw it on my Twitter feed.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, he is a huge UNC fan, and That's he nuts. came out as that. And like the
1: pack pride <laughs> dropped them high. Right? Like yeah. it went crazy. Yeah, like yeah, if yeah. you read
0: the comments on Twitter, wow, insane. I
1: had no idea. But so he
0: that. is now backing up Sam Howell exactly. From yeah, Washington. yeah, yeah. And so, it, it's it's just funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, man. It's, the Sports rivalries are no joke out here, for sure. So, yeah, a lot of people at UNC did not like me for that, but <laughs> I had to accept it after a while. So, yeah. No, that's cool, that's
0: cool. It's yeah.
1: first. I don't know. Setting the trendsetter, right? <laughs> yes.
0: So, tell me yep. a little bit about the company yep. you started, how you kind of came up with the idea. Yep. And like you said, you weren't in like dance or any of that yeah. stuff in high school. Yeah. How did you kind of get into it in college? Yeah. And what was your thesis behind what you created? Because 2006 was your freshman year. Yep. If we put this timeline out, guys, 2004, I remember, is when Facebook first came out. It was only allowed at the top 50 schools. Yep. So again, I had yep. buddies at like Harvard, yeah. Duke, Princeton, UNC, UVA, and, like, Cal, that had it, UCLA. But outside of that, NC State did not have it for at least a year. <laughs> really? Not until, like, 2005 wow. did State and some of the other schools get it, right? Yeah, Because yeah. you had to use your UNC you email, to get email address like
1: yeah, I remember. to log yeah. into Facebook. Yeah.
0: So very early days of social... I remember having Friendster. I remember having Zenga and some of those early adopter apps prior to Facebook. So you're creating something now that's very social, video-based, and infancy of YouTube.
1: Yep, exactly. YouTube
0: is like... 2004 as well or three About the time, yeah. around the same
1: yep. time around
0: the same time and no one really adopted youtube probably till eight nine ten mm. yeah when you're able to get faster internet speeds yeah outside of a college dorm
1: yeah right
0: because yep. Yep. i remember i would lug around a huge ethernet cord that was like 20 feet long <laughs> just in to get my your connectivity yeah yeah because anywhere you went you had to connect it to your laptop so true. and you had to connect it to an ethernet port in the library yep, yep. in the dorms everywhere right very true so yeah
1: yeah it's it's funny you say that because uh it was definitely a very like interesting journey that i never expected would have happened like you said i didn't grow up with liking dance whatsoever and you know uh, for those who don't know uh Bhangra is a dance of a celebration and joy it originally started from farmers of this region that you mentioned Punjab and so once a year they would have this harvest festival right and they would take some illicit substances and they would dance that's how they that's where Parna was from right it actually came from a celebration of this harvest festival and uh and just enjoying and letting out letting loose right through through all of that hard work that these farmers would put in and so that dance has now become uh for those of you who may not be familiar with um South Asian culture, it's basically become the way that we celebrate any event, right? You have Bhangraha music at weddings, at birthday parties. I mean, heck, after work, if you're just with the boys and you want to throw on some beats, right? Yeah. Um, And so we found that it was growing up in our culture, and I'm sure you probably had a similar experience of it with maybe not as much Bhangraha music, maybe more Bollywood or whatever, right? But uh, you know, through our parties and stuff, you're exposed to it. But I was like, I'd say, very typical boy-doesn't-dance mentality, and I had to run away whenever you know, somebody tried to put me on the dance floor, like I was anti on the dance floor. Um, what, what actually clicked was, I think in high school, I was fortunate to find a little bit more of this Indian community outside of my family. So I started to meet some friends. There wasn't a big community, but there was a community, right, right. kids that went to, like you said, these magnet high schools. There was another one that was very close by that's from this area that had a lot of Indians. Uh, mine had almost none. Um, but you know I started to meet some friends there. And once you get together, you start to realize hey, like, and most of my friends were Punjabi at that time, um, this is part of our culture. And it's kind of cool that now I have another person outside of just my immediate family who shares this, who understands this, right? And so I think it was late, it was my senior year, there was like a Diwali function. There's a big Diwali uh, event in this area called Kerry Diwali, which I'm sure you probably been yeah, right yeah. to, right? I mean, who hasn't? My, my
0: daughters are performing. So there you go, here,
1: you know? <laughs> building building the legacy. It's full circle. It's full, full circle, man. I know. Um, and so we, we were like, let's go put something on stage because it's different, it'll be fun, it's part of our culture, you know, let's do that kind of thing. And from that, that's where my passion really grew. So I started, like you mentioned, there was no YouTube at that time. It was DVDs. That's where I learned it. It was oh, watching wow. competition DVDs, right? Yeah. And just seeing like, oh, these are the different steps. And this is what actually makes Bhangra look different than any other dance, right? In this particular way they put it together. Um, and so... It grew from there, and I got so much into it that, like you said, 2006 is when I got to university level. Uh, I remember that summer before I went to college, there was like this, um, it was in Chatham Square, which was the Indian area at that time, saying we're looking for Indian dance instructors. And so I sent my name info over. I responded to what they said. I was like, hey, look, I don't know if I'm professionally, but I've learned it through DVDs. I think I could teach it. And like that first year in, you know, we started with just the owner's daughter, because he wanted to give a dance school for his his student, right? Uh, myself, and then uh, a Bharatanatyam uh, you know teacher who was very very experienced, and we all three basically became part owners. And let's fast forward ten years later, that academy had grown had grown to where I had alone three hundred Bhangra students just just Bhangra, right? Wow! So I mean, we That's we skyrocketed in that time. Right? I'm still an That's NC. Amazing. This is through my UNC journey. This is after I've left you know college. And I've started working, and so. Um, that 10-year journey was really, really cool to like, you know, go compete, to send you know, coach kids, to make them instructors, to really keep this like, dynasty going. Right? And I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. Uh, but then my company said, hey, we want to move you. And uh, we want to get you in the field, because I was a sales technology sales rep. We want to send you to Manhattan. I was like, well, what do I do with all this stuff I've built up? Yeah. And so I realized back in my journey, I had started with DVDs. YouTube came along a little later. There was no resource for learning this dance, right? There was no actual. Nobody put it all together. I said, "What if I digitized this?" And I took everything that I had learned from DVDs, and later on, I met a coach who, who had actually moved to NC. He was from Punjab and learned a lot from him, and I give him all my credit. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and so you know, I took his teachings, took what I had learned, and I said, "Let's turn this into something," right? And so we decided to launch all these tutorials of how to learn dance bhangra, right? Um, we put onto YouTube because at that time YouTube was a growing platform. Yeah, like um, that's when it was
0: booming. It was, it was like up, eight,
1: nine, ten, skyrocketing. Yeah, right. and we were so we were kind of lucky that we had this platform. We saw an opportunity, uh, first mover advantage, right? No one had done it before. And, and it then, went hand in hand with the iPhone. Exactly, you could watch it mobile. And then we we launched an app too, right? So what we did is at that time every the rage was create an app, create an app. Everybody was talking about it. I'm like. Every second person you talked to would say, yeah, I want to think about this. I want to launch this app. I want to launch that app, right? Yeah. So we're like, Similar well, to like the AI. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was like, let's do it. Right. So we actually went and did it. And uh, my co-founder, his name's uh, uh, Ricky. Ricky was a software developer. And uh, you know, I was the Pengra guy. And I was like, OK, I'll handle the business side. You handle tech. And we got some development outsourced and managed to code an app. And we took all of our YouTube videos, put it in a structured way onto the app where it was a little bit more digestible. And uh, that's how our company started, and what was was about eight and a half years or so ago. And that's how we got to where we are today.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yep. So tell me, as you're starting the company,
0: what were kind of some of the choke points? What were you seeing out of it? And, I mean, I've been to the YouTube page, yeah. seen the app. You have a ton of subscribers and Daily, monthly active users, yep. right? Daily, yep. monthly, all of that. Yeah. So, talk to us about how that process evolved and kind of to where the app is today.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it started as I think technology being our strength because we launched this app and we put it on a platform like YouTube, um, and that has been a roller coaster for us because while it started as a strength, it actually became a detractor for us at times, to try to maintain that app, the amount of manpower, time, money, expertise required has actually inhibited us at times because we've been so focused on maintaining it, right? Right. Uh, ease of use. Exactly. I mean UX, design, all of that. You've got to always update it. Like yeah. Apple is the worst because what they'll want to do is the iOS system will, you know, their, their platform will have one little update that they say. And that update requires such a big code change. And when you're small and nimble like us, you know, we're trying to figure out things on the fly, we're doing the shoestring budget, you know, compared to a a large corporation, like it, it can literally destroy our app in a way, right? So I think what was interesting is learning all that stuff along the way. I think there are two big things that I had no idea about before that I learned through this project, which was one is the tech side. You think it's easy to launch an app. It was a lot of work, but we were like, okay, this is doable. But to maintain it, that that's been a challenge. The second is marketing and scaling, right? So how do you scale? <clears throat> in at that time, you know, there's a lot less I knew, and I think it was also newer in general, just the digiverse, right? How do you scale this kind of uh, idea that you have through YouTube and and through all the different meccams and social media, right? In that time, it's all growing and it's changing. Right. I mean, you look at social media then, like you just said. Even in that time, in 2010 or whatever, There was not
0: as much video. Nine day different you know, too. It, yeah, Facebook, TikTok didn't exist. Instagram, Instagram didn't, didn't exist. exist. It was just you know? Facebook. Yeah. That's
1: it. Yeah. Exactly right. Right. So um, you think about how much has changed now, and I hate to say it, but like I feel like Facebook's dead compared to the other platforms. It, that was where we started. I mean, it was and it was basically YouTube and Facebook. So um, all that the the changing of that. What I what I realized early on is you got to have people smarter than you around you especially in those areas that you're weak in. And I was very fortunate in the beginning to find those kind of people, right? Somebody who was really, really good at the digital marketing side. Somebody who got the tech side, right? Who understood, like, here's how we want to plan our milestones and visions, et cetera, and we don't want to just go all at once. Because me, I was just a business guy, and I'm like, I want all that in one feature, you know, all that in the next update. And they're like, no, don't do that. That's not going to be possible, right? So I think, um, throughout that process, those are, those are probably like the two biggest things that I've, uh, you know, picked up out of it in the beginning. And that's, that's really where I've always tried to bring that talent onto our team and, uh, and help us scale and grow that way.
0: No, that's awesome. Yeah. So you've had this company now eight plus years. Yeah, all over eight
1: years. I'm bad with my years. Uh, yeah, yeah. Eight years. Correct.
0: What kind of do you see as the next iteration and, um. What are you seeing for its future growth potential and those kinds of things?
1: There's two routes, right? So the first thing is when we look at our app, I think it did really well for us in the beginning. It also set us up when COVID hit to be, again, one of the kind of unique players in the market because we already started digital before there was this whole drive to go fully digital because of COVID, Right. right? So you look at a lot of other dance schools, instructors, teachers... They all were kind of back to that academy setting that I had before that I was talking about. When COVID hit, gone, completely gone.
0: Yeah, no so they, face-to-face interaction. So they
1: had to all go digital, and they had to basically do it through one mechanism, which was Zoom, right? Uh, and so we were kind of lucky that we already had this distributed platform through YouTube, through our app, right, through a website. And so we we really took off during during that COVID time. It really really helped us. Fast forward, and what we've kind of learned is, you know, it definitely went down significantly after that because people wanted the face-to-face interaction. Together, Correct. Right? Uh, and fast forward after that, I think the app kind of took a little bit of a hit. And the maintenance of the app and the continual just, you know, needing to find new features and update and offer that value, I think it was fine for COVID, but after COVID, people expected more too. Right? As Just as you go along, I think with platforms, they always expect updates and things like that. Correct. So what we looked at is we said, let's reevaluate. This app is really, really hard to develop by itself. But what if we focus more on our website and then come back to the app? So make kind of the web the hub, because we always were doing a native app. And then kind of put a skin layer and create the app off of what we build off the website. The reason we did that is we had new and more and more new instructors coming to our platform. So one of the things that we do is we certify instructors in teaching pangara, right? And we have about roughly 20 around the world. And so, what happens is we have more and more people interested in that, especially after COVID, because they want to start teaching, and getting back to face to face. Right, right. Let's create a CRM for them. Let's create a platform for them to actually teach their face to face classes now, rather than focusing only on the app, because a lot of places don't use apps and digital mechanisms and stuff like that, right? So, we put a lot of investment into our website, and that's what we're doing now. And based off of that, I'd say in the next six months or so, I think we'll look to reinvest back into the app and then use that website that we've built for instructors to then kind of be the UI for, for you know, what's, on, what's on the app. So that's one route, right? It's actually interesting that we're, I wish we would have started heavier on web first. If I had one regret, it's that. We went too fast to app, and, to mobile. and, and yeah, we should have went stri- first to web, and then we should have tweaked and built our mobile off of that rather than building everything on mobile. And then taking this long journey to get to web, and then coming back to app. I think it's just something we learned along the way, right? And the second thing is, go don't ahead.
0: you think though, like a lot more people use mobile today? They do than actual web.
1: They do. I, they they certainly do. But like I don't
0: think I've ever opened a Facebook website. Yeah, yeah. On on uh, my laptop,
1: right? It's certainly true, right? But web also means there's a mobile web view too, right? So you think about when you look at a website right? specifically, the platform of trying to create it natively for what we do on an app is just so cumbersome for just the functions of what we have, right? Right, because you're teaching and it's all video. Exactly. right? And then so think about what we do. Who wants to watch a video on a small screen like that? What they end up doing is most people end up putting it onto their TV. Or they have, you know, like a, 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 iPad, lap house, a, a laptop, a tablet, or something, right? And they're dancing off of that. So that's where I think our mistake was. If we would have built it to web and then scaled it to these different platforms, mm-hmm. it would have been better than us going straight to the mobile platform, trying to build it native there, right? And then coming back. That's that's our unique case. Is that we need that big screen, and that doesn't get us what we need on a mobile platform, right? Um, and so. Yeah, it's interesting because at that time, everybody, like you said, I mean, I don't open Facebook except for the app on my phone, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things you, you do use it Instagram, for your
0: TikTok, the same way. Yeah. I didn't even know TikTok had a website.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? It's so true. Um, and so it, we thought the same way. We kind of went with a trend, but we don't think we, in the beginning, realized what we could have done a little better there. Um, I think the second thing, though, we have a huge opportunity. We've, uh, you know, we've been exploring it as the fitness side. Um, people look at uh, Bhangra as, um, a, a cultural dance, but B, a very, very good workout. Yeah. And no,
0: I was, that was my next question. How are you monetizing it?
1: Yeah. You know? it's, we've actually created, so it's with our certified instructors, we've created two types. We have one that teach it as a dance. So we've set it in kind of an academic setting, where you know if you want to learn the dance, here's uh, XYZ steps of how you would structure your teaching. And the other side is basically content for fitness instructors. So here's your class syllabus. Here's the steps you do, here's the routine, here's the burn that they're gonna get, right? And here's the muscle groups that they focus on. And so, with those two different things, that's how we've started to monetize the fitness side. It really, really was, again, blowing up during COVID, right? Uh, But one of the things that we found is it's a whole nother company within itself because it's so different than the dance side. Right. right? If you look at uh, Zumba, that's the best comparable. Of kind of a, a you know dance fitness company that's obviously blown up and made it globally and everybody knows what Zumba is it's a household name right, that's the business model and that's different than what we started with, so I think we, for us to do it successfully, we have to launch a whole separate arm, company so to speak that is just focused on that fitness side, right to be able to really maximize it, and because it's a part time thing that I do, we've never been able to fully launch into what I would like to do which is, you know, to really go after that market. So because my passion has been on the dance side and that's more of my background, I think we've kind of stayed in our lane there. But where I do see and we try to dabble and slowly grow on that side is is definitely the fitness side, right? And so I one of that. it's a
0: multibillion-dollar exactly. industry.
1: Exactly. Suburban
0: white women are always looking for yeah. something Yeah, new yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's your yeah. target demographic, Exactly. you know?
1: Yep.
0: Yep. Um, like those LA studios, yep. yoga, whatever it is. And we've seen other companies like what Pyle has done out in LA. Yeah. She yeah. sold class pass and got a great exit. Um, and I would say not even just Bhangra. Yep. There's also like Ross, there is Garba. All of that on the Gujarati side? Yeah. I think you should incorporate that. <laughs> We've been asked about it so many times. No, I'm serious. I, I think you should incorporate yeah. that. Yeah, there's. I'm sure I'm going to miss it, like some South Indian dances outside of Bharatanatyam that you could incorporate.
1: We actually did. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. So we, uh, we started a franchise model of this, too. So what we did is we basically said, we have all the code. We have all the steps of how to launch this app. And we were actually approached and did develop a Bali version of it, too. Right? It's called Bali Learn. And uh, it was with a friend of mine named uh, Rajat out in L.A. So he basically used what we had and kind of did in his own, you know, some certain features and things he wanted differently. But that was our vision for a while, too, is let's, let's go out to this method, right? Uh, and so we did that with the first one. The challenge became finding people who could... Create the content and actually just execute upon it, right?
0: Yeah.
1: It's not that the Finding stru- the creators. Finding the creators. It's okay. not the structure that was the issue, it was the creators. And at that time, just to find somebody who would say, I'm going to do this for, you know, for Dandya Steps. I'm going to do this for us. Like, it was tough to find somebody who would actually do it, right? No, that's very That's true. the challenge. I, can see like, that. I mean, a lot of people know how to do it. Yeah. But will they sit down? Will they invest the time and money to go right. make these tutorials in a systematic way? It, it took us like. I, for our LearnFungaDot tutorials, I think it was like 44 hours, right, to create all these tutorials. I mean, something like that, right? Oh, wow. It was a long, long time. Each each video was about an hour when you think about it, even though it was five minutes. But when you're creating it and making sure all the camera angles are set up, we did it over the course of two weekends. So we basically did like 12, 12, 12, 12 hour days. That's amazing. and, and It's a lot of work, This right? is what I
0: always tell yeah. people is the resourcefulness. This is all while he. This man has a full time job. Yeah, I didn't
1: take that Leonardo. weekend. Exactly. You know, that's exactly. Insane. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was tough, and I'm thankful we had a great team of people that felt passionate about this idea and you know wanted to do it too. But it, it takes a village, right? And that's why that's the struggle we had with that franchise idea. I mean, I wish, man, I wish Craig, we could have done it. Uh, I wish more people would have stepped forward at that time, right? Because um, it was. It was great. Like it would have definitely worked, but we did it with Bollywood, which was good. That's the biggest dance of all. Could we have done it with Bharathanattam? Could we have done it, you know with uh, you know Garbaras? I, I wish, I wish we did. But at that time, there just weren't the content creators for it. So,
0: what um, have you ever thought of going the venture route, bringing in venture money, yep. putting that type of thing together? And do you <laughs> ever envision yourself a hundred percent? in the business leaving your job yeah which what i tell people is when you have a job you're a slave to the paycheck
1: yes absolutely you know Yeah. you
0: become a slave to the paycheck and it's very difficult yeah to leave that comfortability That's especially very true. when you're making yeah. 150 200 250 300 400,000 a year
1: yeah right Which, yeah. some of these
0: software sales jobs tech yeah. jobs oh, yeah. finance jobs you can't
1: yeah Exactly. And it's, it's interesting because I've thought long and hard about it, right? And I came to terms with my decision. The answer is honestly, no, I decided not to pursue it. And I'll tell you why. Um, at that time, you know, when, when we were first kind of starting, the first like four or five years in, uh, you know, there were multiple people who said, hey, look, I'll, I'll cut you a check, or I think you should. And I hear some people I'd introduce you to. But the number one thing that I thought about was if I do that, I gotta be 100% in this. I cannot straddle the line, right, of having a corporate sales tech career and having investors to answer to when I'm not doing it full-time. It just, it, I don't think it'll be successful. And that's also the feedback they got from most people, right? Investors are like, well, are you doing this full-time? Yeah. No. All right. so, okay, now, now I weigh: Should I do it full-time, like you said? And number one is, you have the comfort of a paycheck, for sure, right? Number two, I look at it and say, this is something I'm very passionate about. But when I'm forced to say I have to create a choreo, I have to teach this class, I have to do it, right? My best work didn't come out as much as when it was I wanted to do it. I realized that, right? When I, when I had a lot of different uh, things going on at once with Barna, and um, you know, it would be I've got to pump out this choreo. I've got to make this video. It was like I was doing it, it felt like a factory. Right? I just had to pump this stuff out. Right, but right. when it was like, hey, i got this cool workshop coming up that's really new, and I'm going to Istanbul to go teach it, right? I was so excited and happy to do that. I realized that my passion is more when I'm doing this fully creativity. and almost takes away from the pressure of my full-time job to have this creative outlet. So I said, if I make this my full-time, I think it's going to not make me produce my best work, because I'm going to be forced to create this stuff, rather than enjoying and creating it, right? Uh, to, to turn that paycheck. right? The, the third thing I had, you know, this is kind of interesting, people don't realize, too, is it's like an, it's like a sport. My body will not be able to do the same thing in Bhangra when I'm 40 that I could when I'm 20. Right. right. And so and I thought about the longevity of it, too, because, like you said, social media, when I, when I started, was big. Now it's every aspect of your life, right? You have to be on social media. My face still has to be tied to this brand. As much as I want to diversify, and I really do, you know, I have to be tied to it because I'm the one who started all of it. All my videos are there, right? People hire not just for the brand. They hire for me because they right, saw I've exactly. taught, right? And so I'm thinking as I get older and older, I don't have that same explosiveness. It's just what happens as we age, right? So will it make sense for me to go fully into this business, right? fully into that, when I know my body's not going to be able to keep up the same way that a kid right out of college is, right, or, exactly. or in college? So it was kind of a combination of those things that made me say, you know what, I'm happier doing it the way I am right now, rather than doing 100% full time. And I'm lucky that I have the stability. And that allows me to use this as a creative outlet and create my best work for it. Right. And um, you know, sure, could I have made more or could I make more off of it? Uh, there's no doubt if I'm doing 100%, there's no doubt I could. Uh, but on the flip side, I've, there's a lot of other unique things that I've gotten to do. You know, with this with this journey, that uh, I'm happy with.
0: I'm gonna leave you here. We normally ask this question. Sure. What is one thing you would tell today's kids, like someone like my oldest daughter, who's 10 years old, yeah, or a kid freshman in high school, 10, 14, 15 years old, yes, if they have their <sighs> dreams of entrepreneurship that they would like to proceed in. Yeah. You know, or start a business?
1: Absolutely. Look, I think the the biggest thing I've learned in my, my career has been surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. That's that's the number one thing I've learned because when I started this project, I didn't know crap about tech. I didn't know anything about a website. I not know anything about developing an app. I didn't know anything about, you know any aspect of digital marketing or what a CRM was or any of that stuff right, right. i mean you have a, maybe a very general idea but you don't know how any of that stuff works right and through that journey of surrounding myself with people i start i you know i was able to learn it and i was able to see people who are experts in that field here's how they run it and then you watch them and then no matter what you end up doing whether it's the same idea that you had that you wanted to build or even if it's like myself where you have another job and you're trying to build your idea even within that job that you have, your skill set expands tremendously. By knowing all this stuff, it's made me so much better at Lenovo and what I do. And you know, as a, as a manager and the skills that I'm able to uh, help my team with, all of those strategic skills have come from what I've learned from other people. And this project, this learn pangra, has kind of been as much as it's been a business. It's also been my school, my school, right, right, and, and learning all this stuff. So you know, find yourself a mentor. Find yourself mentors, right yourself whatever project you're looking to do i mean pay the money hire them you know whoever it is give them equity like it's get that knowledge and you know build that right team and that's far more important than you're trying to take the money in the beginning that that's the biggest thing i've learned along the way
0: no that's awesome yeah. great advice yeah.
1: guys check it out <laughs> exactly thank you thank you coming on the i appreciate pod. it i yeah. appreciate likewise. it likewise thanks for having me yeah i hope you guys enjoy and uh hey just so you know uh we're we are uh launching more and more tutorials on our website too go ahead and put throw in the yeah plug. yeah you guys should so check it out learnpangada.com www.learnpangada.com and uh, not only do we have a lot more global classes opening up here in the next couple of months uh, but we've also launched more and more tutorials so if you want to learn like a choreography to your favorite song uh, a lot of the more popular Punjabi songs out there sometimes we even go non Punjabi with it too um, you know you can check out the website. And by the tutorial right there on Throw demand. Throw some hip
0: hop in it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, know? no.
1: That's how we first went viral. There was this song uh, by Fetty Wap, famous uh, you know rapper. It's called um, uh, Six Seven Nine, and. Um that video on Facebook, uh-huh. it blew up like 13 plus million views to the point where news stations like from Houston were contacting us and India was like hitting us up, right?
0: No way. And
1: we were on India abroad and stuff and so that was when the fir- before virality was a thing uh-huh. or right when it was becoming a thing like that's how we, one of the reasons we blew up is that video we did this spunger out routine 30 seconds to this song. And it just went mega, mega viral, right? I so remember realized, that Fetty Wap song. Did you really? Yeah, yeah man. Uh, you may you may have seen the video without even knowing, right? So I many know. people are like, like people have walked up to me randomly and said, "I saw this video of a bunch of random guys doing this thing to Fetty Wap Yeah, Yeah, I know what bongra is, and I was like, "Hell's me," <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> I was amazing. the guy in the middle of the green shirt. Um, so yeah, you know, it's just it's cool to see how it it goes across different cultures, and uh, that's what we try to do. We try to bring it. You know, we try to bring Bhangra to everyone. That's our motto. And we do it through not just Bhangra music, not just Punjabi music, but how does it, you know, transcend the dance itself music and barriers and things like that. And, uh, yeah, hope you hope you check it out and enjoy it and join us.
0: No, that's awesome. Yep. Thanks, cool. man.
1: Thank you again. Yeah. Appreciate, Appreciate all coming. the great work. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone.